Let's pray and then let's go. It is 20 Sundays after Pentecost. That means it's 19 after Trinity. In the old calendar, this was the healing of body and soul. Know that the Lord, I'm sorry, know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And if he can forgive your sins, he can certainly heal your kidney. So, you know, it's whatever is the worst thing. He does the worst and then he can do, if he does the hardest thing, he can do the easy things too. Matthew 9, 6. And remember then that you're one, you're one, you know, you're one bit. There's, there's different beautiful parts in you, but you're one bit and the Lord comes to heal them all. That's why, now, I don't know if you know this, but our, our young new pastor was accused of voodoo the other day. Uh, <clears throat> by another pastor. So, so we, have a, we now have, we do have a little doll of that pastor. We have some sharp pins and we're... <laughs> <clears throat> we are what we, they thought we were, something like that. Uh, so uh, now he, he sort of said in the pastor's conference, well, if you're sick, you should just go to the supper. And then the older boys sort of went... And then he said, well, of course, if it's just like Jesus touching the lepers or Jesus, just like Jesus touching the blind man. If you're touched by the Lord, wouldn't that heal you? And one of them muttered, well, that's voodoo. And I thought, well, I, I didn't think it was. I thought it was the Holy Supper. Uh, but so, so here it is, you know, he, he's the healing of body and soul. You know, he touches you. He touches you. He heals you. And when Jesus touches people, things go good. If you believe that the body and blood's there and he touches you, your life's good. So there you go. Um, old dogs, new tricks, and all that. Almighty and merciful God, for your mercy's sake, keep far from us all that oppose you, that unhindered in body and soul we may serve you with hearts set free through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, I know it's difficult with you, uh, with these staggered starts, uh, kind of up and down of Bible study. You know, we had the bishop here last week, and a couple weeks, Skater will be here. Um, you know, and it's, it's difficult for us, too, to sort of hold it together. It's a bit of, you know, if you're, you're a third grade teacher and you can only teach, you know, once every three weeks or a couple of weeks, then you take a couple of weeks off. I know it's difficult. And I know your pattern doesn't always fit this. But really, uh, you know, I'll say what I said to you the first week I was here, which is that churches live and die by Bible study. And we have a big palette of things in front of us. There's a, you know, I know that we, we did a capital campaign, then we did another one, and we did all kinds of planning, and we just took people right to the edge of being worn out. I understand that. And we sort of gave people a rest through the summer. But really, you need to bring your friends back to Bible study, and kids need to get in Sunday school. And, you know, Pastor Nelson says downstairs for high school kids, we do live and die by what we get in Bible study. And this really is where things kind of get worked through. And nothing is done, you know, without purpose. We're, we're very clear about the fact that we're moving toward a new space. We're trying to make that space beautiful. There's a lot to be involved. We also know that that's going to take a certain amount of, that's going to cause, cause a certain amount of psychic pain for people to, um, you know, whether you like this space or not, this is the space you've been in for years and years and years. When you go to a new space, you know, there'll be the joy of the new place, but there'll also be the difficulty of being uprooted. So my point from all of that is, this is where the regular rhythm of the Christian life actually matters. Uh, and sometimes we're so good and things work so well that we, you know, you can, you can kind of forget the basic stuff. The basic stuff is being at the supper and being in Bible study and saying your prayers every day and being generous with your gifts, being merciful to other people and giving a good witness to Christ. And in a way, if you think about this, this is all being bundled up in beauty because already, you know, the cards are all on the table. Beauty is about the revelation of Christ. Beauty is not a subjective thing. It is about Christ in our own lives. 
And it is the recognition of beauty, the preference for beauty, clinging to beauty in your worst days and rejoicing in beauty in your best days. I mean, that's what's going on here. This is just another way to express the Christological reality of our life together as community. It's just another way to express the same thing, but it is such a tangible and potent way. Very beautiful music. I remember Bob Williamson's, uh, we had never really done this before, or maybe twice or something, but, uh, you know, Bob Williamson's wake was here. And by the way, um, you know, Somebody asked about their own wake. Could we have our wake there? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we prefer you had your wake here. You belong in the church. But in the, in, you know, that was a tough day for all of us. And uh, during the wake, at the beginning of the wake, the, uh, uh, we slipped in at the family's request um, some Gregorian chant. It's actually a, a chanted service of the divine service that begins um, in this beautiful Greek Gregorian chant, Christ have mercy. Uh, it's it's the most, it's hauntingly beautiful, and when that went in, you could sort of feel, you could sort of feel everything is going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. There was a way that 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 just wraps you up and tells you that Christ is here and all is well. Music can do that, art can do that. You see over my shoulder, um, uh, that is. Uh, the cross from Taze, that's the normal one. And in fact, they, it's interesting, sort of the culmination of what they do, I think, is on a Friday evening where they lay the crucifix in the midst and then set lighted candles and then gather round about. You know, clearly, Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the center of life, meaning to change people. I mean, that's just, that's just how life is. So um, we have the potential here in beauty. And the thing is, is in one sense, if you can argue about beauty. I like this, I like this, I don't like that, I don't like that. It does, that's, that's not the point. The first question about beauty, if anything has become clear, the first question about beauty is what bears Christ? What delivers Christ? What brings Christ? What makes Christ present? What rejoices in Christ's presence here among us? And then, of course, if it's really Christ here, then it's how Christ changes us and how Christ heals us and how Christ loves us and how Christ moves us and how Christ puts us together as community, how Christ gathers us and how Christ makes us his church. This is another angle at the same thing. We've only got one song and we just keep singing it. The question is how we be church together. But what you'll find, uh, the, most, the hardest thing is the most practical thing. You who were in Friday morning women's Bible study, uh, you know, for whatever that was worth, you know, part of the message there is, you're frankly all too busy to pay attention to Jesus, and so am I. Isn't that crazy? It's Finn's famous ser- sermon f- from a few years ago about being busy, 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 you who remember it, yeah? He said, when you have pastors that are too busy to pay attention to Christ, you've got real problems. When you've got parishioners who are too busy to pay attention to Christ, you have real problems. When you have pastors and parishioners who are too busy to tend their families and tend each other, you have real problems. If you have pastors who can tend Christ and parishioners who tend Christ and families who tend Christ, you have the greatest of all things. And one of the guides in all of that, you know, one of the, the defenses for difficult days, one of the prompting things is beauty. There is a way when you see a beautiful thing like Cleveland scoring seven runs in the top of the 11th just inspires you to get up and live the next day. And I went to bed as I, a Cleveland fan wrote me first thing this morning. What's my first email? What's important in the church? Cleveland won. Okay, so I opened my email this morning. 
I said, yes, I went to bed. It was 6 to 6. I woke up. It was, was it 13 to 10 or something? 13 to 6, whatever it was. He said, it was an utter res- resurrection motif, you know. Uh, strength to live the new day. Sorry to you Boston fans. Now, don't worry. There's still a few games left. So, you know, but there are things that we recognize as beautiful that prompt us on to do. And there is a way. I mean, I think you know this in your own hearts. Um, when you're irritable, you know, when you don't know how you can go forward, when you can't express the joy that you feel, regularly beauty is the thing that can do that. Why is that? Because beauty reveals the face of Christ. And you see, you know, the ultimate goal of this is not only to see the face of Christ. Can you look there and see the face of Christ? I'm always, I look back, when I look back at the supper, you elevate the host to the point where it erases the chalice in the back window. You know, we live between the chalices. You know, there's beauty in that. There's beauty in all of you. And the great, you know, the great hope is that when you look at each other, you'll see Christ. You'll see the beauty of Christ in other people, no matter how unbeautiful from time to time we see, seem to be. That we never let the less can remember that the person next to us is baptized, has got the body and blood of them, has been forgiven. And that then allows us to go forward and beauty allows a push in a way that other things don't. So that's where we're trying to go. But most of all, I sort of end where I began, which is it's extraordinarily important for you to be here. Um, we were talking about the third commandment with kids. They're so, so blasted honest, which is one of the things. Uh, it's been a great joy teaching confirmation, just more, more swings at the kids. And we talked about the third commandment and um, how that's not optional. You know, it doesn't say... It doesn't say, remember the Sabbath day, two out of four Sundays. It just doesn't say that. And if you're not in church every Sunday, you know what? You're running against the Lord, and that's in judgment of you. So I said to the kids, you know, how many of you weren't in? I said, don't raise your hands, but just think to yourself, how many of you weren't in church last Sunday? And then, like, six kids, like, no. I'm like, I said, don't raise your hands. They can't pay attention. Don't raise your hands, because I didn't. The weight of that is so, you know, but in reality, I mean, the Bible says unless your you know, ass has fallen into a ditch and you have to pull it out uh, or you know, somebody's dropped dead, you, know, you basically, you're meant to be in church. I mean, there's no such thing as a one-off. I'm always struck by in our congregation, you know, we ask people to put their kids in our school. I think it might be seven or eight, 70 or 80 percent. I don't remember, but you know, we say you know, you'll be here in church 70 or 80 percent. I don't remember the number really, but I'm always, I'm always just a bit verklempt over that because... Uh, that's to ask people less than what the Lord asks of them. And I always just wonder if we're doing quite the right thing there. Um, you know, we obviously do it because people have trouble paying attention even to that. But, you know, what the Lord says is here every week. And here's the other thing. And I said to the kids when you go out, I said, ask your pastors if they were in church. Ask your teachers if they were in church. Ask your parents if they were in church. Ask your friends if they were in church. The Lord will not bless a place that does not do his bidding. Not because he doesn't like you, but because you don't play along. I mean, if we're not in church every Sunday, we can't expect the Lord to bless us. You know, it it it's not according to your preference of what you think beauty is. He's here and he's beautiful. If you're not here, if I'm not here, the Lord is in judgment against us. It's just the way life is. Same for your kids, same for your family, same for your friends. Um, real honestly. Short of, you know, being on your deathbed, there's no reason not to be in church. Um, and so... You know, those are the sorts of things where you can either receive that as the greatest possible gift. The Lord will be here every week to give me his beauty. Or, um, if not, 
then you're on your own. Find beauty on your own, but that's to make an idol and that's to collapse. And at the end of that is, you know, death and hell, you know, to collapse down. This week, the definition for the kids, they keep a glossary of words so they can learn to talk like Christians. And you know this, I've said this to you regularly, hell is when God lets you have your way forever. If your way is staying home on Sunday, you can have your way, you can stay home. And then someday, you'll never have the Sunday that's described in Revelation, the eternal Sunday of the feast at the Lamb, of the Lamb that, that has no end. See? And God will let you have your way. So here's the thing. We need to be beyond that. We need to be, this is kind of next level. We need to presume that everybody's here. We need to presume that everybody's in Bible study. We need to presume that everybody's generous. We need to presume that everybody's merciful. We need to presume that a witness is, the, is at the center of our being. We presume all that. If we're talking about that, then we can't talk about the next thing, which is where we started. How to create, you know, this is, this is so contemporary, I can hardly say it, how to create an irresistible environment. But there was something salvific in that. How do we create a place where beauty surrounds people and they just can't resist it? Or organic thing. It's the viva vox, the living voice of Jesus. Don't kill it. How do we keep alive the rumor that beauty is here? How do we do that? We do that by digging in the text and figuring out what it is. And that then is where we are. So I started with, um, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. We beg beauty down on us. And then we're sort of left with this ambiguous thing, you know, what in the world is beauty? Or at the end, I was just struck by private confession, private absolution for the work and the beauty, not just the toil. Yeah, everybody knows it's hard work to go out and love people who hate you. Everybody knows that. But beyond that is the beauty of what it's like when people are reconciled. The joy of, as the Psalms say, you know, it's good when brothers dwell together. You know, oil running down over your face in a hot Mideastern climate where oil is the difference between pleasure and, and sort of everything being horrible. Keep alive the rumor that the beauty which once was lost, Eden, has been regained. There it is. That's the beauty regained right there. That is the regaining of beauty. And when that's put to you, you too become beautiful. So um, I tried to move you then uh, in the first analysis as an attempt at looking at an icon. As you sort of read through that icon, remember what the icon was meant to tell you. It wasn't meant to be a portrait. It, was meant to, it wasn't even meant to be you looking at God in the first analysis. In the first analysis, it was God looking at you. It was Jesus soaked with divine energy coming toward you. And the transfiguration is a great Lutheran icon because it has both of the things that Lutherans love. It has the simul justus et peccator. That is, we know in, in one sense we're sinners. And so you see the guys you know, sort of tumbling down the mountain. Sometimes their feet up, sometimes their hands up. They can't quite bear what they're about to see because they're sinful. And no sinful man sees the face of God and lives. Okay, that's, that's one part of it. But in another sense, they're still in the picture. And Peter's hand is sort of still up and reaching. And Jesus does not destroy as he comes. He does float off the ground. He can't help, but he's Jesus. And he comes from the immeasurable depths, that blue and red and the burst of light, uncreated light, the light of heaven, the kind of light where there is no sun. And that rolls over you in a way that your life will never be the same. You think you do things now, you think don't matter, they matter. You make decisions that you think matter terribly, they don't matter at all. It's the chance to have your life recreated, realigned by the beauty of Christ. It is really, really different in your lives whether Christ stands in your midst. It makes a difference. It changes you. 
It allows you to let go of the things that you hold so dearly and to gather up the things that God would give. And all that energized by the uncreated goodness, the uncreated beauty, the uncreated light of God himself, who someday you will meet. To be recreated, to be rebeautified, is to be re-edened, is to be resurrected, is to be alive. And the joy for all of you is you get a chance to do that right now. I mean, Christians have the chance to live in beauty right now. Yes, it's just a glimpse, but it's a deep glimpse. It is the, the glimpse of Gregorian chant. It is, it is the glimpse of the stained glass. It is, it's just a little bit in that Jesus hanging on the cross. It's a child coming to the font. It is kneeling down next to people whom you hate at the supper and standing up loving them. You have the chance to live it now. And when you live it, it is the best possible witness. And it draws people in a tangible way which they can't find anywhere else. And if we can just do this, you won't be able to keep people out of the church. It's the best possible witness of how things might go well for Jesus Christ and for his church. So in the end, it's not about you. So that's where we've been. Um, Whether you know it or not, that was sort of the push of all things. Um, But I just want to finish with at least my bit um, with Psalm um, 27. So I'm at point five on this outline, okay? Psalm 27, if you can spin to that. Okay, now haven't seen the icon. Maybe, maybe this rings a little bit differently with you. Just just sort of a quick read through with a little annotation. And then specifically verse 4 is going to be the focal point for us. The Lord, and you notice that's in capital letters. Lord in capital letters in your Bible is Yahweh, the covenant maker, the one who has sought you, the one who loves you, the one who comes to get you, the one in the burning bush. Right? You got this? Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord... The same one on the icon up there, the Lord, the Lord who takes you as his own, the Lord who promises in 2 Samuel 7 a a child that's later found in Mary's womb. 2 Samuel 7 is a turning point for all the Old Testament where he promises a king, and that king is born of Mary to a kingdom of humility and dishonor and forgiveness and beauty, right? The Lord, that Lord, the Lord is my, and here it is, my light, my uncreated light, my energizing light, my soaking through us light, my light that keeps me from stumbling, my light that shows people for what we really are, the light that cleanses us, the light that illumines us. Small catechism, but he has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith, even as he calls, gathers, enlightens, illumines, the whole Christian church on earth. This is the basic Lutheran stuff. So one of the great problems with us being Lutheran is that we close ourselves off not just to what's not Lutheran, but to the very narrow path of what we think is Lutheran, which we only ever got from our pastor long ago. If you're only ever as good as your pastors, heaven help all of you. Okay? The world is a very large place. You know, it's way larger than what you learned at your Lutheran church as a kid. And it's way larger than Lutherans. It's way large. And we rejoice in all the good things that we see all the other places. This is just basic Lutheran stuff. The Lord is my light. 
Now think of the icon, the uncreated life, the bowling over light, the light that reorients me, the light that leads me for me, leads me forward. The, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Now see, how can light be salvation? Well, because the burning light of beauty is the incarnate Jesus. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Fear is always self-appealing. Best thing I learned last year. Two best things I learned last year. One from Scare, who's coming in two weeks, where he said, expect nothing in return. When you, you know you've got brilliant guys in front of you when they can say it in five words or less and it sticks. To be a Christian is to expect nothing. Expect nothing in return. Jesus expected nothing in return. Jesus was pure gift. He expected nothing in return. The other thing was, all fear is self-appealing. I fear because I'm going to be hurt. I fear because it will go badly for me. I fear because it's all about me. All fear is self-appealing. But if the Lord appears, who makes a covenant with me, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? If I know at the end of the day the Lord has bundled me up, there's nothing to fear, not even death. Yeah? The Lord, capital letters again, the one who makes a covenant, the one who stands by me, the one who gets his stuff done, is the refuge of my life. It's a place where I can go and be safe. But frankly, you know, that's what you all want. Of whom should I then go in dread? Nothing to fear. Just ask yourself how much of your life is, is, is dominated by dread or moved by dread. How many situations do you avoid because you think that will be painful for you even though it's the right thing? You know what's right, but you avoid it because it's painful. How many situations do you go into worrying if you're going to come out well or worrying out if you're, if sometimes for some of you, even if you're going to come out alive, Right? But if the Lord is there with you, now go back to the beauty. Remember we talked about beauty? The word for beauty is the word for when God is on his altar, present, engaging the sacrifice, burning up the sacrifice. You can see him, you can smell him, you can hear him. You know? All your senses are alive. He's using everything he's got. Your sight, your smell, your sound, your touch to show you that he's there with you. He couldn't do more. I mean, the incarnation, he couldn't do more to tell you that he's present. There's nothing more. He, he, it's everything you are. There's nothing more he can do. It engages. You've got you know, you to be deaf, dumb, and blind not to figure out that he's right there. There he is with every sense. Okay, the Lord is the refuge of my life. Where do I go in dread? When evildoers close in on me to devour me. All right, here they come. It is my enemies, my assailants who stumble and fall. This is like God who take, keeps you from being bullied. God who, who, who's the bodyguard, the minder, right? God who cares for you. If you know there's somebody next to you who is bigger than the people who are coming, you're fine. Okay? You're safe. I mean, there's nothing like having, there's nothing like being friends with the biggest kid in school. There's nothing like, nothing like having a big brother when you go to high school. A really big brother. Yeah? If an army should encamp against me, my heart would feel no fear. Why? Not because I'm brave, but because Jesus is taking care of it. If our men should fall upon me, even though even then I should be undismayed, the worst they can do is kill you. Death is sometimes death is welcome. Sometimes it's good to die. Right? Now, verse four. One thing I ask of the Lord. If you get one request. 
If you had one request you could ask the Lord, was if you could have one thing, I wonder if, it, I wonder if you'd ask for beauty. There's one thing I ask of the Lord, one thing I seek, that I can come to church every week. That's what it says. That I be constant in the house of the Lord. If I asked you, I bet it would be great. We'd take the 1115 services, guinea pigs. We could skip the sermon. We could hand out a piece of paper. We'd have them write down. If they could have anything, if they could have one wish, what it would be, there's not one of them who's going to write, come to church. I don't think. I don't think I would write down. If you asked me one thing I could have, would you write down, come to church? Is that your first thing you want? No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, don't tell the 1115ers. Yeah, well, they'll be punished for their absence. But real honestly, I mean, that's just not what people write down. That's not what people write down. One thing I ask of the Lord, one thing I seek. The one thing I seek is the third commandment. The one thing I seek is being in church. The one thing I seek is the body and blood on the altar. The one thing I seek is the devouring light of God, heavenly fire that comes down and locates himself. Like on the top of the tabernacle, Jesus' is home. The light's on. You remember, you remember next to some tabernacles in Catholic churches? You know this? Sometimes in cavern, they have a little light that they click on when there's actually body and blood from the altar that's still there. Jesus is home, right? Just the way you do, all right? One thing I ask, one thing I seek, that I be constant in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Now, here's the thing. The problem, then, with with Sunday morning, the problem with Sunday morning, in all facets, human and inhuman, you know, articulate and inarticulate, is when we get in the way of that beauty. The Lord is here doing his bit. He's here giving his gifts. He gives everything, and he's got nothing more to give. When he delivers himself, when he delivers Christ, when he delivers it to you, when he puts it in you, in your ear, on your skin, in your mouth, when he delivers it, if anything goes wrong, it's you, it's me. Okay? Now, we're not perfect. I, I, I get that. You know, we try, and even when we try, we don't get it right. I get that. But you know what? Jesus has delivered all he's got. In a sense, in a sense you know, <laughs> it's never going to get any better than what, it, what you get here. This is heaven. It's the reason we sing angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. The thing is, is what's given on this altar on Sunday is exactly the same thing that's given in heaven this morning. And if, it do, if this place doesn't look like heaven, it's because we've gotten in the way of it. The beauty is here. The Christ is here. The presence is here. The gift is here. The forgiveness is here. God is here. And so all of our life is about getting out of the way and letting him have his way with us, letting him love us, letting him use us, letting him work together, pushing us together for his good. And everything then around us is meant to extol that. The way that we talk, the way that we build, the way that we look, the way that we see, the way that we encounter each other, the way that we talk about people, the way we engage, the way that we give, the way that we witness, all those things have to do with the beauty of the Lord. The beauty is central. So what you do from here, there's a reason it's called the mass from the word dismiss. The reason it's called that is because you get dismissed out into the world. You go out from the altar and you carry beauty out with you. That's, that's what happens. This is, this is when in the earlier liturgies when the priest said, you know, you can go now. You're dismissed. Why are you dismissed? To be light into the world. It's Jesus. A light that's set on a hill can't be hidden. Don't hide your light under a bushel. All this stuff. You know this stuff deep down, deep, deep, deep down. You know this. 
so, so much of the Christian life is just getting out of the way and letting the Lord do what he wants to do with you. It's so difficult. Even on the transfiguration icon, they can't get out of the way. You know, they're scared at the same time they're in love. And that's the struggle of the Christian life. It's always that struggle, you know, because we are deep down sinners, original sinners. Okay? And which is why the catechism says every morning, kill that and move on. The first great act of the morning is murder. You wake up and kill your old Adam and you move on. Every Lutheran starts his day with murder. That's the catechism. And you move on and get out of the way. And once you're out of the way, you know you're out of the way when you're given Jesus. When the talk is about Jesus, when it's not about you, when you don't say, I, ba 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 ba, or for me, this, ba 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 ba, that doesn't make any difference. You, what you're learning here is beauty is an objective thing. What bears Christ? What delivers Christ? What gives Christ? What is Christ? That's what's going on. And you can either have that as gift and blessing, or you can reject it um, as a thing not to be noticed. The trouble, and this is, and most churches are in between. There's not one of us who's perfect who receives all these things as gift and blessing. And for you people who are here, you know, and even for our members, even though we got, you know, 900 names on the book, we wouldn't say, of any of those people, I wouldn't say certainly they're all going straight to hell. What I would say is, in the middle somewhere, there's this constant battle of darkness and light going on, of what's beautiful and what's not beautiful. And we, you only win the day by tending, or the day is only won by tending the gifts. And see, now we're just right back to where we always started, the normal rhythm of life. You're here every week, and you give every week, and you speak every week, and you're kind every week, and every day you're with your family, and every day you love. And every day it's not about you, it's about Christ. Every day it's about your neighbor and not yourself. And that's, see, you, people wonder how beauty comes. How does love happen? How does community come about? How do people live Eucharistically? It all starts with the presence of Jesus. It all starts with the thing that's most beautiful in life. Jesus born of Mary. So one thing I ask of the Lord, one thing I seek, that I may be constant in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord the adoration of Christ on the cross, the adoration of the sacrament on the altar, the adoration of, of the Holy Spirit in the font, swimming round to make your children his own. Even the adoration of the person sitting next to you because you know that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit fills that person. It's extraordinarily difficult if you try to do it yourself. It's extraordinarily easy if you just say, what Jesus says about that person, you're mine and you're forgiven and I love you and here we go. The Christian life is so simple. You know, it's so simple. It's not easy, but it is extraordinarily simple. It's simply about talking as Jesus talked. Faith just agrees with God. Faith loves your neighbor, so you love your neighbor. Jesus loves your neighbor, faith loves your neighbor. Jesus loves your neighbor, you love your neighbor, that's faith. Jesus loves his Father, you love his Father, that's faith. Jesus is in the temple every day, you're in the temple every day, that's faith. To say and do what Jesus does is faith. Anything else is unfaith, less than faith, diminished faith. That's not for us. Everything moves forward to what the Lord would give. Okay. To seek his beauty in his temple, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple, for he will keep me safe beneath his roof in the day of misfortune. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. 
He will raise me beyond reach of distress. Now I can raise my head high above the enemy all about me. So I will acclaim him. And acclaim is a technical word. Acclaim is a technical word for saying back to God what he says to you. You just say what God says. I will acclaim him with sacrifice before his tent. He gave me the sacrifices to give. I'm going to give them. He gave me forgiveness to forgive. I'm going to forgive. He gave me good words to say. I'm going to say them. He gave me resources to extend his kingdom. I'm going to extend it. You see this? And sing a psalm of praise to the Lord. Now we've come all the way through from people attacking you and being afraid and things hurting you to praise. Hear, O Lord, what I call aloud. Show me favor and answer me. Come, my heart has said, seek his face. I will seek his face. See, that's the gospel. Come, seek it. Come, here it is. Come, love it. Come, adore it. Come, rejoice in it. Come, have it. Come, it's for you. Couldn't be something more gospel than that. And I will. That's the response of the Holy Spirit in you. I will. I'll have it. I'll seek your face, O Lord. Don't hide from me, nor in your anger turn away from me. I know I'm not perfect, but you love me. Whose help you have been. Don't cast me off. Don't forsake me. O God, my Savior. Though my father, I can be a bad father sometimes. Though my mother, you can be bad mother sometimes too. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me into his care. Jeez, that's a paradigm for all of being a parent. Teach me your way, O Lord. Don't give me up to the greed of my enemies. Lead me by a level path. Now you should be hearing the Magnificat in that. He'll take the high ones and make them low. take the low ones and make them high. He'll straighten out the road and fill in the bumps and take me on a level path all the way to Jerusalem, where the temple is, where the beauty is, you see. Lead me by a level path to escape my watchful foes. There are people always watching to get the goods on you. Liars stand up to give evidence against me. There's people always talking. That's anti-church, anti-Christ, anti-beauty, anti-community, anti-thanks, anti-life, breathing malice. Well, I know that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then this, patience. Stay put. Abide in me. You've been put into a particular place. You just stay put. You just wait. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take courage. Wait for the Lord. He's always here. You wait. He'll sort it out. You wait. You think you need to do something? Look at the icon of the transfiguration. He'll undo your doing and do it better. You think you understand the world? You don't understand anything about the world. That's okay. This is the one thing you need to understand. The Lord is for you, not against you. Are you all worried about the future? What's going to happen? You don't need to worry. The Lord is sorting it out. You're born on this tidal wave of uncreated light that moves you into the world for his good, and you try to figure out how your action could fit with God's action. That's the Christian life, that all your actions be animated by the divine. That's a life that's beautiful, and that's not the way that the world defines beauty. And so it's possible, then, you see, for you to find beauty in the poor and the ugly And even people who are cruel, because it gives you the opportunity then to express what the Lord expresses every week, forgiveness, 
and to restore them to the Eden because they belong there too. Right? They belong in the life of Eden. They belong there too. So now you have to rethink everything. You get to rethink everything. Um, now, Pastor Gaining and I have been fighting over this quote all week. <clears throat> and in a great show of humility, I'm going to give it to him. <clears throat> in, a pride, in a prideful show of humility. <clears throat> but I, I, this is your homework for next week, okay? And this is where he'll take you. You want to read this to him? I don't know. You don't have time to annotate. You, you can have, how many do you want? It's all yours. Whatever's coming up, it'll be good. Just, just, yeah, just read this, and then you just let this settle in. See, now, this is the most practical of lives. Okay, so all that's been said before about your life being animated, now read this. Ten. Sorry. Right on the back. Just flip completely over. Good. Okay, sorry. To paint a picture, or to write a story... Or to compose a song is an incarnational activity. The artist is a servant who is willing to be a birth giver. I just kind of let that settle in now. In a very real sense, the artist should be like Mary, who when the angel told her that she was to bear the Messiah, was obedient to the command. I can't tell you how I... I, I <laughs> I can't, I wrote a new, I, they haven't even seen it yet. I've written sort of a new list of things that we need in vicars and deaconesses and interns. The very first thing I've written, we'll have to check it, is obedience, not intelligence, not creativity, uh, not anything else, is the chief virtue of an intern. Obe- I can't tell you how, 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 I can't tell you how for me the Christian life is just simply boiling down to obedience, and I can't tell you how you need to hear that as a gospel word. Everything is about obedience. Mary's last words in Scripture, she speaks the last time in John to do whatever he tells you at the wedding of Cana. She never speaks again. Do whatever he tells you. I can't tell you how when obedience is the presupposition, the world opens up. If we argue about obedience, it never opens If you're arguing about obedience, you can't pay attention to anything else. Once we obey and then see what the Lord does, life is completely different. The artist should be like Mary, who, when the angel told her she was to bear the Messiah, was obedient to the command. Thanks very much for commanding me. I'd love to do that. I believe that each work of art, whether it is a work of great genius or something very small, comes to the artist and says, here I am, enflesh me, give birth to me. Now just go home and think about whether every one of your acts could be considered a work of art under that definition. Just see if you're not the artist making the world, remaking the world as a more beautiful place by way of obeying Christ. And I, you know, I, could, go for, I could go for days on this, we're done. And I'm going to, um, you know, Pastor Gating's going to have a run at you for the next few weeks, which is good. So come back, stick around, and hear this. But, you know, this is, this is your chance. This is your chance at the Christian life. Not just stumbling through, but to have a life that's beautiful and together. All right, let's pray and let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See you soon.